What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. Today, we are so excited to have here our friend and fellow SLP, Alex Zakos. You probably know her as Meaningful Speech, and she is doing some incredible things, changing the way we think about our kids, our Gestalt language processors. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I was trying to remember how we met, and I cannot remember. I'm sure it was online. But it's online. Yeah. When I first made it onto Instagram. <laughs> yes. So it's just so funny because we met and we kind of realized we were living these like parallel lives. We both had clinics that we were running while also building online businesses, online courses while also parenting. And I don't know about you, but when I find someone who's that similar to me, I'm just like, cling on because it's really hard to find people who understand and you're always one of those people. Ah, thanks. Yes. Lots of moving pieces all the time. Um, thank you both for having me here today. Yeah, yeah absolutely. This is going to be such a fun topic and it's, this is just like the game changer topic too, because you know, it's all still rel- it, it's relatively new for me. So I'm um, really looking forward to just covering this on the podcast and for the listeners and viewers out there we're going to kind of just cover some of the um uh, the big picture type um information Information. on gestalt language processing we're going to cover the gestalt of gestalt (laughs) processing (laughs) and you're going to learn that it's pronounced gestalt Hey, or you just, you know, you just haven't made the switch. You you haven't made the shift. You know, what's interesting about that is that I pronounce everything wrong. (laughs) They're like, you know what? Actually, Jesse, it's like tomato, tomato. I've heard people say it both ways. Yeah. I just happen to say gestalt, but I've, I've heard people say gestalt. I've made the shift because (laughs) I don't want to be the last person to make the shift. (laughs) But before we get into that, we would just love to know a little bit more. Maybe you can share a little bit of kind of your background and like what got you to where you are right now doing this. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I have been a practicing speech language pathologist for 19 years, which always feels crazy to say out loud. Um, And I've pretty much worked everywhere. So, you know, I did nine years in the schools. I spent time in early intervention, acute care, outpatient. I always kind of had like a side job to my full-time job. I wanted to kind of, you know, have my, my feet in the door of like all the aspects of our field. Um, But I really, really came to love um, working with autistic individuals. And in 2012, when I um, was pregnant with my first daughter, I just decided to take a year maternity leave from the schools and take the leap into private practice. 
Um, which is funny because I was actually sharing with someone this morning that I did it for the flexibility, but little did I know how much more complicated my <laughs> life would become. Yeah. <laughs> with Jesse, you know, very well. Um, but it's all been a wonderful journey. So I'm in private practice for a couple of years and I get a lot of calls at that point in time about um, social groups. And um, a lot of these kids that were coming in, parents were saying, oh, they're struggling having conversations. But I was discovering they were communicating with delayed echolalia. So a large majority of these kids that were coming in for the purpose of being in groups. And honestly, at the time, I had no idea what to do about it. I was clueless. And I was asking a lot of SLPs that I knew in my network around the area. And um, everyone was like, oh, yeah, say no movie talk, redirect it, ignore it. And that was kind of like what I had heard in my past, too. But it never felt right to me. I felt like, nope, something deeper is going on here. But nobody can give me the answer of what. So at the time, I was also in a bunch of private practice. Facebook groups, kind of learning the ropes of being in private practice. And I posted a question on there about delayed echolalia. And someone sent me a picture of Marge Blanc's book, which was published in 2012, Natural Language Acquisition. It was the first time that I felt like I had something tangible that I could dive into. So I bought it. I read the thing cover to cover in one week. I was blown. My mind was blown. Um, it, I realized, hey, there's another way to develop language. It's called gestalt language development and delayed echolalia is the first stage. So I actually contacted Marge and she has mentored me ever since then. Um, and that was back in 2016. So her book had actually been out for a little bit when I discovered it. Um, and she has pretty much taught me everything that I know. And my clients, I would say, taught me the other half of what I know. And I, um, decided, you know, I really need to teach the world about this. And I wanted to teach it in a way where it was more of a how to, like, this is what you actually do with a child who's a gestalt language processor, either at home or in therapy. And so that's when MeaningfulSpeech.com was born and my course and my Instagram account and all of that. That's so incredible. And I always am so fascinated thinking about the people in our field, the mentors and how they're so passionate about what they do. Like the amount of time Marge spends in those Facebook groups, answering questions, talking to people, mentoring people who are like speaking at ASHA. I know she's a part of, um, it's so, it's just like the passion shines through. It's so awesome that you were able to develop such a close relationship and then really like get it out there to even more people on a bigger platform. I'm super grateful, but you know what they say, like, you know, these types of things are born a lot of times out of frustration. So even when I started learning what to do with my own clients, I'm generating these reports and I'm sending them to like local school SLPs or other private clinics in the area. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Like, what is this? And I just kept getting more and more frustrated. And I'm like, I need like something people can like go watch and something they can like actually read. Because a lot of times we're like, oh, look at this researcher, look at that. And people are like, I don't have time. 
Um, so I, I felt like, okay, I have to create this thing. I have to find a way to really simplify this. And I feel like my social media account has done that and people actually understand it now and want to learn about it. Yeah. And so many therapists getting into it and spreading the word too. And for people who aren't familiar, maybe you could just define really quickly the difference between you mentioned, you know, delayed echolalia and the difference. Sure. So when we learn about language development, either as speech pathologists or parents, we are kind of taught, okay, there's one path. A baby starts babbling and then around their first birthday, we hear first words and then we hear two to three word combinations and sentences and beginning grammar and adult-like conversation around the preschool years. That type of development is called analytic language development. And it's pretty much all most of us know about, but there is another type of language development and that is gestalt language development. That is what my mentor Marge Blanc wrote about in her book. And it is based off research from Dr. Ann Peters and Dr. Barry Present, which basically um, is the process is almost like a flip of what's happening with analytic language processors. So the first stage is delayed echolalia. So kids are communicating in longer strings of language. Um, Actually, I say that a lot and people get confused because sometimes it can be a single word. But really, I'll define what a gestalt is. A gestalt is a unit of meaning that is intonationally defined and tied to a memorable or dramatic experience. So a meaningful experience. Um, And so that becomes like a little unit or a large unit of meaning for the child and Um, It can be a single word, but if a gestalt is a single word, it holds that larger meaning. So if a kid says something like fish, they don't just mean the goldfish. They might mean um, anything they see floating in the ocean or something that was on the dinner table or the stuffed animal. So it has a larger meaning for them. And it's usually becomes part of you know, their language because there's that meaningful or dramatic or emotional experience. So something happened, maybe they were out fishing and dad shouted, fish! And all of a sudden now that's like a gestalt. Um, and so what happens is in stage one, kids feel like either that long gestalt to infinity and beyond or that short one fish is kind of glued together. It can't really move when a kid is in stage one. So a lot of times we try these analytic language techniques like expansion. Oh, he said dog. Let's say big dog. Or we're like, they need more words. Let's label ball, book, doll. And so either kids get stuck in those one word gestalts in stage one, or they don't really go anywhere because they're not, they can't expand them. I use that glue a lot. They're just kind of stuck together. They're glued together. When a kid is ready in stage two, either with support or on their own, because many people do move through the stages on their own, then that's mitigated echolalia or partial gestalt. 
they're learning to kind of unglue a little piece and start to mix and match. So we might hear to infinity go there. So let's say they've got two gestalts, right? Like let's go there and to infinity and beyond, they might mix and match that up a little bit. Or we might hear a trim down of a longer gestalt. That's also stage two. So I have a client, I use this gestalt all the time. She from Dora would say, don't worry, I'll help you find your mama. And so a trim down stage two for her was don't worry. Okay. So when they're in stages one or two, those are the early stages of gestalt development. And we oftentimes, um, when we're first identifying or um, evaluating a client that's in those early stages, we are going to hear things like those scripts to infinity and beyond, or we're going to hear intonationally defined units that either we understand or don't understand where the focus is on the intonation, or we're going to hear those stuck one words, one, one word gestalt. In stage three, we start to hear those single words, but I call this the magic stage because those single words are actually freed from the larger gestalt. So they're very different from the stuck single words. Um, so if a child has, let's go there, and we might hear there in stage three. Um, or big blue dog, let's say that was a gestalt, we might hear dog or blue. So they have pulled it down from the stage one gestalt. And then they start making combinations. So we might hear black dog. We might hear some of what we were trying to do back in stage one, thinking they were an analytic language processor. And then stages four, five, and six are all about grammar. So stage four is beginning grammar. And we're hearing a lot of that, like, I fall down. So it doesn't sound like great grammar, but it's just the beginning of them starting to construct novel utterances. And five and six, um, which Marge outlined really well in her book, are about advanced and complex grammar. And um, I don't have time to get into all this today, but we use the DSS from Laura Lee to kind of pick grammar targets when kids are at those stages in Gestalt language development. So whew, I hope that was a good little overview. That was amazing. I love that. I know that in school, sometimes I'll come by... IEP goals that will have been inherited or that will come from, you know, transitioning from a different district. And sometimes I'll see it, it say that they will reduce the delayed echolalia or when that happens. And it's, I would imagine, and I just want to get this confirmation from you is it's kind of like emotions and feelings of validation, like that, because of what you mentioned it having a connection to meaning those are the things where we definitely do not want to ignore it. Am I kind of on the right track there? Oh, you totally are. So thank you for taking me into a point, a big takeaway I want for your audience to have today. If you don't know what to do and a kid is communicating with delayed echolalia, the number one thing you should do is acknowledge it. So we should never try to extinguish it or ignore it or do the crazy things I was doing when I didn't know and say things like no movie talk. 
there is meaning behind there. And it may not seem obvious to us in the moment. And you hear people that don't know say things like, oh, it's out of context. We got to get rid of it. But it's very in context for the child. There's a reason they're using it in that moment. They are trying to communicate something to you. So what does acknowledging look like? We can smile. We can head nod. Or we can say things like, yeah, okay. And I have several videos on my Instagram where you can hear me and I usually just show the child sometimes I'm in the videos, but you can hear me saying like, yeah, there's a lot of times that my kids are saying things that I don't understand. Um, And that's that stage one long unintelligible strings defined by the intonation, but they know I'm with them. And I'm trying to build trust and connection. That's my number one goal all the time in my sessions. They know I'm with them because I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, I hear you. Don't totally know where to go from here, what this means, but I hear you. I love that. So for those of you watching and and listening, write this down. Acknowledge is is key. If you see a student who has an IEP goal that they're trying to reduce delayed echolalia and there's a behavior plan attached to it, you need to completely reevaluate the way you're thinking. Um, How prominent is... Gestalt, gestalt language processing and autism. Yeah. So I noticed that I, what you're describing, it's like, you know, a large amount of probably all of our caseloads. Yes. Yeah. And I was kind of chatting with Chris and Jesse before we hit record that a lot of people in the meaningful speech community have said, I didn't realize, you know, half my caseload is gestalt language processors until I understood what this was. Um, so a couple of things, we have quite a bit of research on gestalt language processing, but it is older. It is from Dr. Ann Peters and Dr. Barry Present from even as way back as the seventies and eighties. Um, we do not have any current numbers on autistic or non-autistic gestalt language processors. I will say that from my clinical experience and those of others in the community that, The majority of kids that we are seeing or young adults or adults um, that need support with this language development journey, um, they are autistic. Um, And just based on some of the older research from Dr. Barry Present, um, he and Patrick Rydell from a chapter in a book um, in 1995, it's on my website and we can link to it, they said that about 85% of autistic individuals that acquire speech communicate with echolalia. And so since we know that delayed echolalia is the first stage of gestalt language development, that's an indicator to us that it's a very high percentage of autistic individuals that are developing language this way. Um, Now, I just want to circle back to the fact that there are a lot of people that are probably gestalt language processors that don't ever see a speech and language pathologist or need any kind of support. And we don't have any data on them, but we know that they get through the stages on their own oftentimes, or this is just my opinion. So I'm going to preface it by saying that I think a lot of them are labeled as late talkers. 
Some do end up in early intervention because think about it, they're unintelligible. They're going through those beginning stages. And until people start to hear those single words, they don't think they're talking. And so I do think some of them are late talkers, but a lot of them get to that conversational grammar, beginning grammar on their own. And they don't need the support. So um, I do talk a lot about autism when it comes to gestalt language development. um, Because I, again, I do think the majority of us are seeing autistic individuals that need support. I am like, so not so sure. We're still in the detective stages. But I think there's a very high likelihood our son, Jack, who's not two yet, is a gestalt language processor. We talk about this all the time. Um, but there's been so many things. And even last night, because he's like the type of kid who will sing a whole song without yeah. using any of the right words, you know, or the real no. words. Yeah. And like, he, he was singing their musical. Yeah. yeah. He was singing the ABCs. And it was like, you could yeah. totally tell he was singing the ABCs and he was just getting some of the vowels. He right. doesn't have like that, quite that motor planning yet, but he's definitely kind of doing his little mumbling throughout the song. Yeah, it's he'll pretty cool. sing like the whole song without using with some of the words or most of them. And then um, he called you mama for a long time. He literally just stopped calling you mama probably like how long ago, a month ago or two. <laughs> yeah. But like mama was, which I know is also typical for kids to overgeneralize, but um there's just a lot of things where it's like he'll pick up phrases and intonation. Mm-hmm. It just his language development, I could say, has been very different than my other. Boys, I think you know? too for me in a in a in a in a unique way in Spanish, like with gestalts, I could say como se dice and, and know exactly that I'm asking somebody how to say their name. But when I break it down and I have no clue how to use the word como in anything mm-hmm. or dice, <laughs> I mean, I'm lost. <laughs> so Maybe funny you, you thinking that's too. kind of thinking outside of the box on that. But um, yeah. I have to see me posted on Jack. I know he- I've been trying to get videos of him. I have now, since I've learned about this over the past six or seven years, have identified so many kids in my life that I think are gestalt language processors. But again, for the audience, doesn't mean they need support, but it's kind of cool to recognize that that's how they're developing language. Yeah. I mean, he was definitely, I would definitely put him in a delayed category um, up until recently. I've need to reassess him but I was like ah dad ADHD he probably has it too it was like always seemed like an attention thing to me you know but um he might not be delayed though he might just be going through a different type of language development yeah totally and I had that um mindset shift because I really wasn't worried because I could see him thinking I could see he understands and yeah but we've been using AAC with him too which has been really fun Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We do have an, I have to put the plug in. We do have an AC and GLP course coming out on February 3rd. So I'm not sure when this is going to air, but it's coming out really soon in the next few weeks. And we are going to help everyone kind of understand how to program and tailor AAC for gestalt processors. Because currently, and unfortunately, most devices 
or all actually are set up for analytic language processors. So they all start with like that single word, the core vocabulary, and we kind of have to tweak things a little bit if we know that a kid needs more gestalt because they're in stage one of gestalt language development. Yeah, it's pretty, I mean, unbelievable how many people really do need support with this. You know, I've been spending the last couple of weeks doing these consults with parents in our parent program. And that's a huge, huge part of what they need help with Mm -hmm. is trying to figure out how to utilize their AAC while also honoring their child as a Gestalt language processor. So yeah, big area of information that needs to be in the brains of every therapist working with autistic students and clients. Absolutely. This is like so important. So critical. I agree. And we need to keep spreading the word because unfortunately a lot of people that are getting a lot of airtime and that are spreading the word are in behaviorism and they're sending messages that, you know, are just not appropriate for our kids are not working for our kids. Um, even up until like last month, I mean, I'm sure this is still happening, but last month I got messaged a whole bunch of videos that were floating around Instagram that were made by, you know, I don't know if they were BCBAs, but people in that field basically saying echolalia is okay until it gets in the way of learning, then you need to stop it. And I'm like, Whoa. so I had a bunch of people reach out to them, ask them to take their video down, offered them a bunch of education through our site. Um, we just, we have to keep spreading the word um, because unfortunately, a lot of these kids are basically being told your spontaneous true language needs to stop and you need to only say what I'm teaching you to say. Yeah, I honestly think it brings families and therapists so much relief when they learn about this because it's like, wow, I, I've everything I've been doing has been so hard and I haven't been seeing the progress I want to see and it doesn't feel right. And it, that's the experience I've had is that it really brings them relief to know that they're on the right track, you know, that they're able to do something that feels good. Yeah, I love that word relief. I definitely think think a lot of people are feeling that. The other thing is I think a lot of parents know in their gut or have that parent intuition that, oh, this advice I'm getting doesn't feel right. Like I I do feel like my child is trying to communicate something to me, but a lot of times they override that because they think, oh, well, I'm not the professional and a professional is telling me this advice. I need to follow it. So when they learn about Gestalt language development, I've heard a lot of them say, I knew this, like I knew this in my gut, like this is validation for me that this is what I should have been doing. Yes, 100%. I could like talk about that all day that parents like parents always know you always have a gut feeling you always have to trust yourself you a therapist will never. I don't know, I feel like we always have to take the parents perspective above our own, you know, Um, they just you have that parent feeling those gut feelings, you know what's right for your own child and your own family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like now with the neurodiversity movement, in a way, a lot of us are really helping to empower parents again. 
Um, and I don't feel like that was happening, especially in our field over the past couple of decades. I feel like it had leaned more toward, I think it was happening probably in the 70s and 80s. But then things started leaning toward, no, you have to go to the experts. Like, you don't know anything about your kid. And now I think we're trying to tell them again, no, parents, trust yourselves. Yeah. And I even think the pandemic was a huge like tipping point for that. Right. Parents mm-hmm. realized that they um, were going to have to do a lot more, that they could do a lot more. We would rely on them more. I think too, there has been just so much more access for people to get the right resources and information that historically we just didn't have. And that has just been such a, a wonderful um, change because with your Instagram and your uh, meaningfulspeech.com and um, having that knowledge and access readily available rather than having to, you know, go through barriers and leaps and hurdles to get to this information. It's just so much better to have access to the resources just like we do, you know? Yeah. 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 And so thank you so much for being here. We'll definitely link to your courses. Um, highly recommend Alex can tell you every single one of my therapists in my office, I put through her course. We're going to put the information, um, in the show notes as well, but, um, Alex, could you recap real quick where they can find you on Instagram and your, and your website. And one more thing for your, up your AAC tied in with GLP. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Everything can be found, um, under meaningful speech. So I'm on Instagram under meaningful speech. My website is meaningfulspeech.com. All the info for the new AAC courses on there are my original courses on there are coaching and education handbook. Those are three products that are on there. I do also want to mention, you can find the book I talked about by my mentor, Marge Blanc on Northern speech services. I think Northern NSS, yeah, Northern Speech Services, and she also has her own courses on there, and her website recently got revamped with a bunch of free info, which is communicationdevelopmentcenter.com. Thank you so much, Alex. Amazing. We really appreciate you coming on. We are changing the world. What You are changing the world one day at a time. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.